before we pray, um, I read some time ago there's four stages in life. Um, we're observing one of them now with the, our graduates. The first stage is learning. And the second stage is doing. The third stage being teaching. And the, the fourth stage, which many of us are in here, is realizing that you can't do what you used to do. So uh, I think I'm in that category there. So we're just so appreciative of these graduates. Uh, and I know many of us think, gosh, I wouldn't want to go out in this day and time. You know, it's so much harder than it, it was when I was at that stage. But, you know, these guys have never known it any different. And they're determined. They got energy and strength that we have forgotten about. So we praise the Lord for that stage in life. So uh, let's pray. Father, thank you for families. Lord, you ordained the family, the institution of family. Amen. I want you to take your Bible this morning and join me in 2 Kings. 2 Kings, and we're going to be looking at chapter 2. Yesterday, we had the privilege as a church to put about 85 boxes of food into families' hands again for the third time in several weeks. East River Road was the host church, the distributing church to, for that to be dropped off and where we picked it up. And it's really, a, it's really a remarkable thing to see because a semi pulls in and the next thing you have to do is start getting these skids off. And the, the boxes yesterday, there were about 70 on a skid, 30 pounds apiece. The pastor of the church, David Harmeyer, was the guy on the tractor that had forks on it, and he was the fellow who was going to be unloading the semi. Let me, let me, let me just tell you what sweat on the brow looks like, okay? The first skid was a half a skid. Dave got it out. It wobbled a little bit, and then he was able to get it set down. They moved it over, got it to a, a trailer of a church that was picking up. The second skid was one with 70 on it. When he got it off the trailer, off the truck, and began to lower it, it lifted the back end of the tractor straight up in the air. Finally, he got the forks where they needed to be and was able to get it down. And about the time it got to the bottom, it tipped and just splattered. Here's what I didn't hear from anybody that observed that. Oh, man, why'd you do that? I could have done it better than that. I didn't hear any of that. You know what I heard? Hey, sometimes milk gets spilled. And everybody was on their knees picking up boxes, straightening them up, getting them ready. And within minutes, what seemed like a mess was really a time for team building to be reminded that everybody needs a little grace in their life from time to time. Oh, he felt horrible. I mean, I thought he was going to cry he felt bad. I said, listen, uh, I backed into an evangelist in our driveway. Okay, it'll get better. It'll be all right. Amen, folks? It'll be all right. And, uh, and I praise the Lord for the opportunity to, to be able to distribute that. We have three boxes left. We put the stuff in the refrigerators in the other building. If that can be a blessing to somebody or somebody you know, we'll give it to you after church, okay? So 
This morning, I want to speak about legacy. This is such a fitting message for the Sunday that we're observing, Graduate Sunday, because everybody leaves a legacy, good or bad. And to tell you the truth, we have followed folks that have left us a legacy, some good, some bad. So I think that's why it's important to remind these students that there is a world and there is a real devil who's roaring like a lion and his job is going to try to get you to take your eyes off Jesus and put them on yourself and put them on your surroundings or put them on your environment and somehow that's going to fulfill you. I want to tell you we have a world that's looking for the answer and they haven't found it. It's only in Christ. I mean, who are we kidding? Who are we kidding when we think a Democrat or a Republican is going to have the answer for, for America's troubles? Jesus is the answer. And our job is to, to, to be a person who leaves a legacy of Jesus in our lives. Um, you know, I, I got to talk to Trevor prior to his procedure. And, uh, you know, when they do heart tests, they literally, they, they'll take a picture. When they do a heart cath, they put something in you where they, they're taking a picture of what, what's there. And, and I wonder if, if our heart was taking a picture of this morning, if, if, if somebody would see Jesus. I mean, has our life been affected to the point where it's forever changed? So Elijah was week one. It was all about Elijah. It was about the power of God in his life. He trusted God. He saw the power of God. And as a matter of fact, when you look at a legacy, there not only has to be somebody leaving it, there has to be someone picking it up. There has to be someone following. And we know that in this passage, it's the prophet Elisha. I do think it's interesting that Elijah and Elisha are so close in pronunciation. But make sure you understand, the power that God gives Elisha isn't the power he gave necessarily Elijah, it's the new power he wanted to give him. There's a song that says, there'll be new grace when it's my time to go. Let me tell you this morning, the well of grace isn't diminished, it isn't running low, God has a fresh supply of, of grace and mercy for you and for me. And I'm grateful for that today. Father, thank you for your word. Help us now. Help us to rightfully divide the word of truth. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Chapter 2, verse 1. And it came to pass, when the Lord was about to take Elijah into heaven by a whirlwind, Okay, that's an important statement. That Elijah went to, with Elisha from Gilgal. Then Elijah said to Elisha, Stay here, please, for the Lord has sent me to Bethel. But Elisha said, As the Lord lives and as your soul lives, I'll not leave you. So they went down to Bethel. Now the sons of the prophets who were at Bethel came out to Elisha and said to him, Do you know that the Lord will take away your master from over you today? And he said, yes, I know, keep silent. Then Elijah said to him, Elisha, stay here. Please, for the Lord has sent me to Jericho. But he said, as the Lord lives and as your soul lives, I'll not leave you. So they came to Jericho. Now the sons of the prophets who were at Jericho came to Elisha and said to him, do you know that the Lord will take away your master from over you today? So he answered, yes, I know, keep silent. 
Then Elijah said to him, Stay here, please, for the Lord has sent me on to the Jordan. But he said, As the Lord lives and as your soul lives, I'll not leave you. So the two of them went on. And 50 men of the sons of the prophets went and stood facing them at a distance, while the two of them stood by the Jordan. Now Elijah took his mantle. Uh, a simple definition of a mantle would be an outward covering. It could be a number of things. Okay, It could be long. And the Bible says that Elijah takes his outward covering, rolls it up, strikes the water, and the water is divided this way and that so that the two of them crossed over on dry ground. And so it was when they had crossed over that Elijah said to Elisha, Ask, what may I do for you before I am taken away from you? Elisha said, Please let a double portion of your spirit be upon me. So he said, You have asked a hard thing. Nevertheless, if you see me when I'm taken from you, it shall be so for you, but if not, it shall not be so. And then it happened, as they continued on and talked, that suddenly a chariot of fire appeared with horse, horses of fire and separated the two of them, and Elijah went up by a whirlwind into heaven. Heaven. When you look at the first verse in chapter 2, the Bible says, And it came to pass when the Lord was about when the Lord was about to take up Elijah into heaven. It came to pass. We have a promise right here in the first verse of chapter 2 that God is about to do something. And it's interesting that we don't know when he's going to do it, but he's going to make it happen. When the Lord was about to what? Take up Elijah into heaven... Listen to me, folks. Rapture and alive Elijah into heaven. Elijah must have known it was going to happen, maybe not as soon as it was going to happen, but one writer described this as a precious event. A precious event. Elijah, Elijah was in a season of watching. And just as Tim said, there are different journeys and different seasons in the life graduate when when you have a, a young person graduate when you have a brother or sister graduate when you have a child graduate a grandchild when you have a spouse graduate it really is the step into a new season now if this was a precious event I believe we need to be reminded this morning of something precious that you and I can count on as Christians you ready you need a little good news this morning? Hey, if you do, say amen. Hey, the more you do it, the shorter I'll be today. Amen? Hey, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13. I don't want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep. In the New Testament, sleep was a word referred to death in the life of a believer. Lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again... Even so, God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with a voice of the archangel, with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain 
shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and thus we shall always be at the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. Let me tell you something. That is a precious event. That's a precious event. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 51, Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep. We shall not all be dead when Jesus comes, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, a twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. And then you get to the end of Revelation. Jesus says, surely I am coming quickly. Even come, Lord Jesus. Folks, I'm telling you the return of Christ is a precious event. And when you look at the life of Elijah, he was set apart as one of just a few who would be translated to heaven without dying. And when you look at this passage, the word comes to Elisha, if you see this thing happen, and then boom, it happens. Boom, it happens. The fellow whom everyone tried to get him to stay away from or maybe tried to discourage him with the news that, hey, Elijah's not going to be here forever. You know, he, he's about ready to go to heaven. He went with him as far as he could possibly could go. He wasn't going to be separated. It's almost as if Elisha didn't want to miss anything. And then God calls his mentor. And Elisha is now going to carry on the legacy. And the Bible says this all began, it all came to pass in verse 1, when the Lord was about to take up Elijah into heaven by a whirlwind. By a whirlwind. You know, God doesn't always do it that way when he calls a believer home. Sometimes it's in the quietness of a room by themselves where a believer breathes their last breath and God is saying, welcome home, welcome home. You know, when I think of whirlwind and I think about the whirlwind of, 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 a, of a legacy and of life and of a home and trying to raise kids, uh, sometimes I think a whirlwind is, is a crazy blur. I mean, this is a whirlwind. Maybe you're here today and you're thinking, where did it go? Where have the years gone? This young girl is now a teenager, and this teenager, teenager has become a, a young adult, and, and we're going to let her go off into an environment that we can't control? Where did time go? You see, the word whirlwind comes from some translations of Hebrew words that mean things like this, destructive windstorms, circular motions. Very few tornadoes in Palestine. Usually this wind would come off the Mediterranean uh, coast. The wind off the sea would collide with the wind from the arid desert. And in this raging winds, a storm would throw up dust. Let me tell you something. God's in the midst of your whirlwind, whether you can see him or not. He's there, and he wants to carry you. But, but, but what does the Bible say about whirlwinds in other places? First of all, it talks about the fury of God's judgment. Jeremiah 25, verse 32. Thus says the Lord of hosts, Behold, disaster shall go forth from nation to nation, and a great whirlwind shall be raised up from the farthest parts of the earth. Jeremiah 30, verse 23. Behold, the whirlwind of the Lord goes forth with fury, a continuing whirlwind. It will fall violently on the head 
of the wicked. So when I think of a whirlwind, it can, it can be the fury of God's judgment, but it can also be the speed in which God executes judgment. Nahum 1.3, the Lord is slow to anger and great in power and will not at all acquit the wicked. The Lord has his way in the whirlwind and in the storm, and the clouds are the dust of his feet. The speed in which God executes judgment. The Bible says in Psalm 58, verse 9, Before your pots can fill the burning thorns, he shall take them away as with a whirlwind, as in his living and burning wrath. But here's something else I want us to address this morning. The Bible says in Hosea chapter 8, verse 7, They sow to the wind and reap the whirlwind. The stalk has no bud, it shall never produce meal. If it shall produce, the Bible says aliens would swallow it up. Folks, let me tell you something. The fruit of sin is exposed by the whirlwind. Now, to the graduates and to everybody listening to this message, for those of you sitting here today, the Bible reminds us that we will reap what we sow. Do you believe that? Do you believe that? I planted my garden, as many of you have or are trying to, and, and uh, last year I shot some pumpkins in my garden. And if you were looking for garden pumpkin plants, I would have been the guy to come to because they were all over the garden. And I thought, you know what? I've been around enough to know that if we don't deal with this now, it could be a real issue once this thing starts growing. Anybody will say amen? And I started digging up these pumpkin plants. Sowed my garden, and now it's starting to come up slowly, but now I'm a little confused by the appearance of some things coming up. Is that a bean or is that a pumpkin? Hey, hey, you reap what you sow. It's not always easy, is it? It's not always easy to plant. It's not always easy to get your kids ready for church. Whoever said anything about it is supposed to be easy. What it is is an opportunity to worship the one who has redeemed us from our sin who holds the keys to eternity, who knows when I'll breathe my last breath, who has prepared a place for me because of his love for me. He gives us the privilege to worship him. And, and sometimes we hear people say, I just can't make it. Oh, you made it to your secular job for 30 years just fine. You hear what I'm saying, folks? I'm telling you we reap what we sow. Listen to me. Many times things that happen in life is not because God's punishing us. What's happened is it's something we've caused by what we've done. We've sowed the seed and we're reaping the harvest. Now, Elijah could have been an insecure leader. And I'm telling you folks, insecurity leads to hurting other people. You've got to know who you are you got to quit trying to prove yourself to people. You, you've got to be the best you can for the Lord Jesus and leave it at the foot of the cross. Amen? And, and love people for, and, and, and start seeing the best in somebody instead of trying to figure out the worst or, or what angle they're working. Uh, one of my favorite movies is the movie White Christmas. And if you recall, when Bing and Danny Kaye 
meet the, the singing sisters, Rosemary Clooney and the other lady. Uh, Bob Wallace, he said the wrong thing to Rosemary Clooney. And he said, well, we know you girls are always working an angle. Do you remember that? It offended her. It made her mad. Uh, only to find out later in the movie they kind of were working an angle. But, but the truth is, listen, when you and I get out of the seat of double-guessing everybody's motive and maybe just worry about our own, you're going to be freed up a little bit. You're going to get to the point where you say, you know what? Elijah was not insecure. He knew who he was. And he was passing the legacy. And man, Elisha didn't want to miss a thing because when he was instructed to stay here, he was saying, I'm going with you wherever you go. You're not ditching me. I'm hanging right in there with you right now. You know, the Bible says in Zechariah chapter 9, verse 14, then the Lord will be seen over them and his arrow will go forth like lightning. The Lord God will blow the trumpet and go with whirlwinds from the south. Whirlwinds. God uses a whirlwind to describe a precious event, number two. It's also a promised event. Do you know that? Now, when you look at verse 1, the Bible says he'll take up Elijah into heaven by a whirlwind and that Elijah went with Elisha from a place called Gilgal. All right? I want you to write this down. Gilgal represents a place of new beginnings. Anybody here this morning need a new start? I mean, uh, some of these guys are going to play in a golf scramble this afternoon with the football team, and they know exactly what a mulligan means. That means I get a free shot. Free shot. And really, if you're, play, if you're really playing with, with godly other golfers, they'll just give you that shot and not even charge you the one or two you've already blown. Are you with me? Mulligan's like a do-over. Anybody in here today need a fresh start? Another shot? Well, Gilgal was the place of new beginnings. Now, Elisha knew that Elijah wouldn't be there forever, and he had an opportunity to prepare for it. but he didn't realize when it would come. I mean, today the graduates are at a place of Gilgal, place of a new beginning. To tell you the truth, as we come to down the other side of COVID, many of us are at a place of beginning, starting over. What do we do? And I'm grateful that when you gave your life to Jesus Christ, it was a Gilgal moment for you. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things have passed away. All things become new. And as Elijah was waiting in this season for this precious event, he recognized that it was a promised event. It's almost as if he wanted his successor to know that Gilgal would be the place where the new beginning would happen. But you see, Gilgal... Is not necessarily a place in this passage that you can put your finger on because there were a lot of Gilgals in the Old Testament. It was a place uh, that was built oftentimes where idolatry would take place. 
and it was also in the form of a circle. So it was a circular altar. And here's what would be found in Palestine, circular altars all over the place. But they represented a place of worship. Oh, you could find them anywhere in Palestine, and they would easily have been a place you would name a town once you found the Gilgal. Okay? It was a promised event. And I want you to know this morning that as a Christian, look at me, as a Christian, you and I have a promised event. Listen, listen. Jesus said, I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go to prepare a place for you, I'll come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. That's what the Bible says. That's the promise of God. Now listen to me. No one in this building this morning is without excuse. No one in this building is without excuse. No one loves my preaching more than River. Hey, listen to me. No one is without excuse sitting in this building this morning. You'll never be able to stand before a holy God and say, no one ever told me. I didn't know what the Bible said. Everybody in this place is accountable this morning. Listen to me, folks. If you know the truth, why would you not run to Jesus and settle it once and for all? Well, I'm a senior adult now, Brother Greg, and, and, and this church thinks I've been saved ever since everybody's been coming here. Folks, when you stand before God, He's not going to ask you about your church family, what they thought of you, or what your spouse thought, or what your, what your siblings thought, or, or that person at, at work. It's going to be between, between you and God, and you and God only. Um, there's a song by the Perrys. talks about... Uh, the judge steps from the bench and steps down next to the accused and sings the song as the attorney, I rest my case at the foot of the cross. Man, I love that. I rest my case at the foot of the cross. It's only because of Jesus. You see, it's a promised event. One writer said, if you know the truth, act on it. Quit blaming everybody else. Act on it. Do something about it. Why? Because it's a promised event. Now, in ministry, we get the picture of contrast. Elijah and Elisha are not exactly the same. We, we, remember, we knew that Elijah dressed crazy. People thought he was crazy. I, I don't know. Elisha may have come across different than that. But one thing that does take place is it goes from a precious event, a promised event, to a private event because the Bible tells us they're telling Elijah and Elisha they're telling Elisha don't you know that today who, who's telling him the sons of prophets who are they it's an interesting group I think it's a group that are being trained they're looking at these guys as mentors maybe future prophets and they're, and they're saying, don't you know that today your master's going to get away? And you see the response of Elisha, it's abrupt, it's quick. I know, get away, get away, get away. It's like he wants to put it off. And Elijah, and the Bible says, if you see what happens, God will grant you this blessing. What blessing? If I could just have a double portion of what he's got. Now, 
There are a couple ways to take that. God, I need twice as much to make me the man he is. Or, God, would you take what you've done for him and just double it for me? This morning at the end of the first service, Justin Spencer gave me a great illustration for you for this one. Of Elijah's miracles, there are about nine. When you, re when you read of Elisha's miracles in Scripture, we find 19. Now, it gets interesting. Let's go ahead and start with verse 12. And Elisha saw it, and he cried out, My father, my father, the chariot of Israel and its horsemen. So he saw him no more. What had happened? In a whirlwind, Elijah has gone to heaven. And he saw it happen. And he took hold of his own clothes, tore them in two pieces. What's he showing? Grief. He also took up the mantle of Elijah that had fallen from him and went back and stood by the bank of the Jordan. He took the mantle of Elijah that had fallen from him, struck the water and said, Where is the Lord God of Elijah? And when he also had struck the water, it was divided this way and that, and Elisha crossed over. Now when the sons of the prophets who were from Jericho saw him, they said, The spirit of Elijah rests on Elisha. And they came to meet him and bowed to the ground before him. Now, of these 19 miracles that Elisha performs, let me just read one. Verse 23, then he went up from there to Bethel, and as he was going up the road, some youth came from the city, and they mocked him and said to him, go up, you bald head, go up, you bald head. That's funny. So he turned around and looked at them, pronounced a curse on them in the name of the Lord, and two female bears came out of the woods and mauled 42 of the youth. Then he went from there to Mount Carmel, and from there he returned to Samaria. What you don't have after that are the sons of the prophets saying anything about him anymore. Folks, let me tell you something. God doesn't mess around. He doesn't play games. You don't get to heaven by cutting a deal with him and, going, and, and taking what you want to offer to him and, and keeping what you don't want to give up and just say, okay, God, one day somehow I'll breathe my last breath. I've been a good person. I went to that church in that little town. And I, and I know that somehow I get to heaven just because I was a good person. That doesn't fly. You see, it's a promised event that has to become private. It's an inside-out job. I can't help but think Elijah and Elisha grew in their love for each other as they ministered together. You know, you really, when you get in the, the trenches with folks and serve it can be the trench of staying in the nursery. You don't believe that? These folks that stay in the nursery, just go down there and stand today after the service. And you watch like these veterans come out of the hallway and uh, they're walking the wrong way. And uh, man, they've been in the trenches. They've been in the battle for the Lord. Amen? They've been in the battle for the Lord for your kids. I'm, I'm grateful that that I've got one in the nursery somewhere in New Madison right now, probably. Somebody's taking care of him. 
Amen? Somebody's taking care of him. We're called to be workers for the Lord. And as he calls us to work for him, he calls us to work with each other. I praise the Lord for that. No wonder Jesus sent the, the disciples out in pairs. You've got to learn to be a teammate. Let me kind of close with this. We must never compete with one another in ministry. Churches can do it. Pastors can do it. Staff can do it. Leaders can do it. Church members can do it. You see, folks, the picture, I believe, of Elijah and Elisha is the passing of the torch to the next generation. The mantle is passed. The outward garment, the passing of prophecy, the responsibility of God's power upon you. And God does that even in the midst of a whirlwind. A whirlwind. If the Lord tarries and you and I die, Someday there'll be another preacher, stand here. There'll be another person doing your job. I wonder what they will say about us. They were faithful. I hope they can say they were faithful. They preached the gospel. Crying babies never bothered us, bothered us in a church, did they? Hey, did they, church? So every time a baby cries, quit looking at the family when they're trying to get out. Okay. I, know, I know it's natural, but let, let, it, let it remind us of something. There was a cry in a Bethlehem stable one night, and the reason that cry took place is so you and I could be here today. And I'm telling you, we are so messed up sometimes. I am. I don't know about you. We are. I am. But <laughs> it's been an interesting week. Seems like we've had a number of folks with heart issues. There might be more heart trouble sitting here this morning than I've visited this week. I mean, I don't know that. God does, right? He does. He's the master surgeon. He's the master surgeon. And what he wants is for his blood to flow through our veins. And that does that in childlike faith. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Stand just as quietly as you can. And let me just say this as we close. When we think about the past, the past is not to be an anchor that holds us back, but a rudder to guide us. To guide us. We learn so much from the past.